Thank you for listening to the Hope City Community Church Podcast. We pray that your life will be forever changed by what you hear today. Our goal is to encourage, inspire, and challenge you to experience the real Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now let's tune in. Today, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, land the plane on the series Holy Night. And I just want to thank you all for uh, the texts, the emails, the comments, and uh, the messages just encouraging me on this series. Uh, this series has um, taken me months to write, and uh, most of that is what you're going to hear today. Uh, today, you may feel like you are drinking from a fire hydrant. Uh, there is a lot of information I want to get to you. But today, before I get started, I just want to say a great big thank you to you. Uh, you guys are such a benevolent and a giving people. We have been able to do several things this week. I'm not going to list them. It just It's honestly too many to list right now for the sake of time. Uh, But because of your giving, we've been able to make an impact in our community again this week. And I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, First service, we were sharing information that we had these things called candy bombs available as a fundraiser uh, to help our youth go to uh, summer camp. Uh, The problem is they sold out before you got here. And so, yeah, yeah, great, I guess. Uh, They were really cool. You would have liked them. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you may be able to find one and maybe offer somebody $6 instead of five and snag you one. I don't know. But, uh, uh, I just want to say thank you for always being a, a giving people. I also want to give a huge shout out, uh, to the Cobb family, uh, Hannah and Sean, we would not have been able to do this fundraiser without you. They own a business called, um, uh, sweet. What? Hello, sweetness confectionery. And here's the best part about it. If you need a cake, if you need specialized candy, if you need anything that's just not healthy for you, (laughs) I want you to see Hannah Cobb and be a blessing to her business. Because of her, uh, our kids are going to be able to go to camp. She just blessed us with those. Thank you, Hannah, for uh, making that available. And uh, so uh, who's ready to go into the word of God this morning? I'm excited. Uh, Today, I want to frame this sermon up. In our society today, uh, there is a prosecution that is telling us that our faith is unfounded. There is a prosecutor called the accuser of the brethren who is telling you that what you believe is a myth. Well, today, in the court of your opinion, in the court of your faith, Allow me to take the position as the defense of Christ. Allow me to take the position to show you that what you believe is not only well-founded, but it's well-documented. That what you believe has great strength when you test it through the angles of time. Today, I give you the case for the Savior. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 16, let's pray real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of doubt in Jesus' name. I rebuke any spirit that may try to elevate itself above the knowledge of God. And Father, we take captive every imagination that exalts itself above the knowledge of the Creator. Father, we thank you that today uh, you will tear down the strongholds of doubt in the heart of your people. And I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Galatians 2.16. Let's read it. 
knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Justified. Can I tell you this, that all of your good deeds, you add them all together in your lifetime, you have out your capability of goodness. Congratulations. You're all failures. Me too, baby, me too. So here's what's beautiful about that, is your works are irrelevant. My first evidence to you would be that your works are erroneous to the court, of no worth at all, because the court of public opinion does not base itself on your actions, but instead bases itself on your faith in one thing, in the substance of one thing, which is the blood of a man named Jesus Christ. So today we're going to take a look at the proof for the case of Christ, his living, his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The first thing I give you is the prophetic proof of Christ being the Messiah. We're going to take a look at some prophecies, and then we're going to look uh, at the probabilities that are associated with these. Uh, the first thing I want to share with you is I found a professor uh, who works at Westmont College who is a probabilities professor. These are people much, much smarter than me. And uh, one semester, uh, he had a student challenge him to come up with uh, probabilities based on eight prophecies of Christ's existence. The probabilities are this. It is the chance that with the statistical numbers that Christ fulfilled by his very existence, the prophetic truths that were imparted by his existence, these probabilities will show you beyond reasonable doubt that Christ was truly the Son of God. So they took a look at, at eight prophecies to start. The first was in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which basically states that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And so the students determined an average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah to the present. Then they divided it by the average population of the earth during the same time period. And they concluded that the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem, fulfilling Micah chapter 5, verse 2, is about 1 in 300,000. 1 in 300,000. Pretty good odds. What does that mean? That means there's a 1 in 300,000 chance that Christ is not the Messiah. How many of you would gamble against those odds? You've got a 1 you got 300,000 ducks climbing in a field, and one of them has a tag on his foot. And you've got to choose the first time the right duck. I don't like those odds. I think my ability to choose the right duck the first time is pretty, pretty non-existent. And the truth of these probabilities is that they prove the existence of Christ beyond a shadow of a doubt. So th that's one prophecy, mind you, one in 300,000. The first eight prophecies alone... The first eight prophecies alone, after examining them and doing the probabilities, they came up with a conservative estimate that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was one to 10 to the 17th power. That's 17 times 10, and then all those zeros. Okay, anybody want to take those odds that Christ is not the Messiah? Anyone? Sure. Which, by the way, the fact that the atom even exists is like 10 to the 13th power. The very fact of your existence is proven less than Jesus. 
Do you feel real today? I feel pretty real, baby. I feel pretty real. So that's just eight prophecies. So after going through that, the next semester, a student came in and said, well, if they can do eight, we can do more than eight. So they broke down 48 prophecies. 48. The probabilities of 48. This number gets pretty chaotic. Stay with me. They did the probability of 48 of the prophecies concerning Christ, and the number was astonishing. The odds of Christ not being the Messiah are 1 to 10 to the 157th power. That is a number 1 with 157 zeros. There is no mathematical name for that number. It just is what it is. It's a lot. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a bunch. So, again, that's just 48 prophecies. In the scripture, there's 351 prophecies that Christ fulfilled with his existence. If you step outside of the scripture, there's a total scripture plus external content, 465 referenced prophecies that Christ fulfilled with his existence. Those numbers are chaotic. So let me, let me, let me put this uh, into some words that you can understand. Uh, the, 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 the professor at Westmont says this. He said, once you get past 50 prophecies, the probability is so small that it's impossible for Christ not to be the Messiah and the Son of God. The professor concluded, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact, proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. That's just prophecies, baby. We haven't got started yet. Let's look at historical literary proof. What does the literary world talk about Christ? We're going to leave all the fiction stuff alone. We're going to leave all the religious documents alone. We're going to leave the Bible alone. And we're taking off through history, trying to find documents that are nonfiction, that speak of Christ, his existence, that have been challenged and proven to be uh, contemporary to the time of Christ. Let's start. There was a man by the name of Talus. In 52 AD, he was completely hostile to Christianity. He wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, on the whole world, there pressed a most fearful darkness. And the rocks were rent. They were torn by an earthquake. And many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Talus, he's writing to a man named Talus. He says, in the third book of his history, calls as appears to me without reason, an eclipse of the sun. This is a man who was trying to disprove Christianity, and he found written documents and ledgers of repairs that had to take place because of an earthquake that took place the same charted day that Christ was crucified. And I tell you, the Bible is true. That's just one. There's over 25,000 manuscripts. 25,000 manuscripts that speak to Christ's existence. Let's just take a couple more. Tacticus, again, hostile to Christianity. He spoke of the death and suffering of Christ and the unwavering belief of thousands put to death for their belief about Christ's resurrection. In his writings, he speaks of people on the precipice of death, declining life to profess their faith. That's in 56 A.D., Marabar Serapion, 70 A.D., 
wrote about the crucifixion of the Jews' wise king who lived according to his own teachings. Origen, 185 to 254 AD, wrote about the earthquakes and devastation the day Jesus was crucified. He says, Jesus, while alive, was of no assistance to himself, but that he arose after death and exhibited the marks of his very punishment and showed how his hands had been pierced by nails. For the sake of time, I'm I'm just going to, let me just throw some of this at you. And again, go get the podcast, go read this stuff yourself. Not to mention the Gospels, which were written in times that were hospital to Christ. We're not even going to get into that. Uh, but there's 25,000 ancient manuscripts about, the, about Jesus. But here's what's even crazier. There's over 400,000 variants of those writings. Do you know what a variant is? A variant is when something is so important that they translate it into another language. So of the 25,000 there became 400,000 copies and editions of the 25,000 spread in multiple languages. What is so important, I ask you? Could it be that eternity hangs in the balance? So all of this information is literary. I want you to go challenge it. Uh, and, and if you can disprove it, I'll buy you a, a candy bomb. Okay. The, the Shroud of Turin. This, these are just little side pieces that I found in my studies. Uh, first service didn't even get this. How many of you have seen the Shroud of Turin? You've seen this, the, the supposed burial cloth of Christ. So uh, this thing is about three and a half feet wide by 14, a little over 14 feet. Uh, and it is said to be the cloth that covered Christ at his burial. Well, uh, in 1988, there was research done that said that this was not the actual burial cloth for Christ. The problem is, is that they did not take into consideration a 1978 study called the Shroud of Turin Research Project, or STIRP. Well, STIRP used all of the top technology. In 1988, they only tested the gelatinous uh, uh, membranes that had the red uh, pigment, which they believe was blood. Now, here's what's interesting. In 1978, they tested this, and they found that it classified 58 pollen grains by comparing them to pollen grains in the largest botanical museums around the world. And their conclusion led them that a majority, 45 of the 58, were from the region of Israel, uh, specifically from sedimentary layers from 2,000 years ago near the area of the Sea of Galilee. Interesting, right? That's just one fact. How about this? Dating tests challenged the compressibility and the breaking strength and dated the shroud to a time commensurate with the life and crucifixion of Jesus. Let's keep going. Roman coins on the eyes of the image on the shroud, which give evidence that it's highly probable that the image of the man on the shroud of Turin has two Jewish lepta, which were minted in 29 AD by Pontius Pilate in Judea, the time of Jesus on his eyelids. Let's keep going. The image itself is a mystery. If you take a thread of linen, which is what it's made of, one tiny thread, has over 200 layers of cotton to create it. 200 layers on one thread. The image is on two to four layers, which what's interesting, of the two to four layers out of 200, there's no way to recreate it. In our technology today, they're trying right now to recreate this image and they can't do it. So here's what they said. The only known explanation for the formation. Now, remember, they've had this in the possession. The first document we have showing information about the shroud was in 1300. 
This talks about the only explanation for the formation of the image is an intense burst of vacuum ultraviolet radiation. It's equivalent to the output of 14,000 eczema lasers emitted from every three-dimensional point of the body within the shroud. I submit to you that when the Spirit of God struck that body, a flash of light hit, and it speaks to what the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, you'll be changed. That's just a side piece, by the way. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I got, I got more to go. I got more to go. Okay. Um, let's see here. In the history of the world, this is, this is some, there's so much data. Gosh, I wish I had like five hours to preach. I'm just going to take five hours. Okay, leave when you want to. Just joking, just joking. Okay. In the history of the world, there's a uniqueness to Christ. And these are two facts that separate Christ from all other major religious leaders. Number one, all other leaders are either alive or dead. Either alive or dead. Christ is the only one who we know is documented to have lived, documented to have been crucified, but also documented to a resurrection. He's the only religious leader that died and rose again. Powerful stuff. Jesus is also the only religious leader who did all of the work for his people. Every other religion, you're doing the work. Can I tell you, you can't do enough work to earn salvation? If it wasn't for Jesus, you'd have no hope. But he's the only religious leader that laid himself down for you. Powerful stuff. So what we're about to shift into now is another little side point, the Bible stats. How many of you are grateful for the word of God? So here's what's interesting. The number of Bibles sold on average has more than doubled every year since 1950. Every year it doubles. There's 20 million Bibles sold each year. This is American statistics. 20 million Bibles sold each year. That's 1.66 million Bibles sold each month. 384,615 Bibles sold every week. 54,945 Bibles sold every day. 2,289 Bibles sold per hour. 38 Bibles per minute. 6.4 Bibles every 10 seconds. In addition to the Bibles sold, another 115,055 Bibles are given away or distributed every single day. It's interesting facts. The U.S. only accounts for a quarter of newly printed Bible sales every year. There's around 7 billion, 7 billion Bibles released since its conglomeration. 7 billion have been sent out in copies. It's in every single language. The closest religious book to that is the Quran with around 800 million copies. Seven billion copies. Now, there are two things historically that sell in great numbers. Religion and news. Now, here's what's interesting about the Bible. It's both. It's religion and it's good news. Come on, somebody. Seven billion copies. You can't argue with that. As I'm bringing the ship in for landing for time, I just, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I want to give you the eyewitness accounts to Christ post-resurrection. How many of you knew people saw Christ after he was raised from the dead? You know this? For this, I'm going to start with a fact given to you by Paul in 1 Corinthians. The reason why I want to use Corinthians is because Corinthians is a book used by non-believers in uh, uh, places like Harvard, places like Dartmouth, to prove cultural and geographical truths. If they can use it, 
we can use it. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 8, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. You hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Why is it important that Paul saw Christ? Do you remember what Paul was before he was Paul? They called him Saul, and not S-A-W, but it would have been fitting because he was cutting people down left and right. Saul was uh, the boogeyman to the believers of his day. He would come into a town, and he would infiltrate where the Christians were just to find out where they lived and when he could drag them out of their homes and murder them in the streets. This man was a mass murderer, and he was on his way to a town called Damascus. When he's on his way to Damascus to murder more believers, mind you, Christ revealed himself to Saul. And it made such an impact that for the rest of Paul's life, which he died as a martyr holding on to this truth, for the rest of his life, he would be beaten, shipwrecked, abused, imprisoned, a horrible, nobody in here would trade places with Paul. Not a soul. For the rest of his life, he dealt with pure uh, destruction of his earthly body. And never once did he recant the truth of who Jesus Christ was. Can I tell you, when Christ has revealed himself to you, it changes everything. It changes everything. So let's, for instance, let's just talk about the 500, just, just, just for a second. Let's just talk about the 500. Um, the only thing that I was able to find the skeptics say about the 500 was that it was a mass hallucination. You catch that? So there's documentation in Greek, in Aramaic, even in the Greek Septuagint that tell of these 500. And they all speak of these 500 people seeing Christ at the same time. He revealed himself to a group of 500 people. Now here's what's interesting. Of the 500 people, there is not a single record of even one recanting on that truth. Most of which died a martyr's death for proclaiming this truth. And they say it was a mass hallucination. So let's just take a look at that concept for a second. A mass hallucination. Let's say that I go outside and say, there's a giant Twinkie in the sky and I see it clearly unwrapping and it's delicious. It's going to be delicious. Don't you see it, Carl? Don't you see it? And Carl goes outside and goes, uh, yeah, me too, Josh. 
there's a huge Twinkie in the sky. Right? Right? And then Jen runs out and she goes, what? A huge Twinkie in the sky? Okay, yeah, maybe there's a Twinkie in the sky. Whoa, cool, right? About the fourth or fifth person, somebody's going to be like, you've lost your marbles. There ain't no dadgum Twinkie in the sky. Mass hallucination has never happened in the history of mankind and has only been created for one instance. The instance when 500 people claim to have seen Jesus post-resurrection. It exists nowhere else. So let's take that a little bit further. Mass hallucination. In 500 people, let's just say if we took just this section over here, good believers, all these people love Jesus, right? Each one of you, I have no doubt you love Jesus. But if you walked out that door today, and there were a thousand Roman soldiers waiting to behead you, and one by one they told you, all you have to do is say it didn't happen. All you have to do is say that you didn't see Jesus, and you'll see your children again. All you have to do is say that the rest of them saw something, but you didn't see it. And you'll see your spouse again. But if you don't, you're going to die right here. Eventually in this crew, somebody is going to seek the comfort of seeing their children. But out of the 500, no one, no one. Out of 500 people? And I love what Paul does. He puts himself out there to be completely destroyed by the skeptics. If I was Paul, I'd have been so nervous. I'd have been like, 500 people saw Jesus, but the ones I'm going to tell you about are already dead, so you can't go talk to them. What does Paul say? He says, some of them are asleep, but there's still some alive. Go talk to them. They'll tell you the same thing today. They told you in the face of death. The ones that are still alive will tell you. They saw Jesus Christ in the flesh, just like I did. Paul puts himself out there in literature to be exposed as a fraud. Why would he do that unless this was real? Now, at this point, I don't know if you're catching on. There's a lot of data. I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even get anywhere close to the 25,000 manuscripts. I didn't get anywhere close to going into the details. I mean, we, we could talk about the details of the 12 disciples, how they were all sentenced to die a martyr's death. And again, not one recanted. So of the 531 people that we know of that saw Christ, there may have been more, we don't have document of it. But 531 people we have documents of, not a single one recanted, most of which in the face of martyrdom. why that's interesting to me that I'm a chaplain for the police department. And uh, if you have one eyewitness, just one, one eyewitness that's willing to testify against you, it can put you in jail for the rest of your life. Just one person. If 500 people stand up and testify against you, you're toast. But when 500 people stand up and say, we saw Jesus, 
We saw him on the cross. He died, but then we saw him a few days later. We saw him. We saw the holes in his wrist and his feet. We saw him. Let me take you back to the literature. Some of the letters that we have are incredible, incredible. From Pontius Pilate, correspondence to Caesar saying, what are we going to do about this inconvenient truth? Inconvenient truth? Do you know it was inconvenient? Because the Romans controlled everything with an iron fist. When they would slap it, it would go away. They had complete control of everything. They just did. How they ruled is how they reigned at the time. If they attacked it, it went away. They attacked lots of religions, lots of religions, lots of belief systems. But something was different about these guys from Judea. The more they attacked it, the faster they grew. They tried to suppress Christianity, and we have the documents to prove it. We have correspondence from regional leaders asking, how is it that the more we martyr, the faster they come? How is it that we we fed a thousand of them in the Colosseum to the lions and 10,000 chanted his name the next day? These manuscripts tell a story and they give us proof that in the face of death, these are people like you and me. They worked, they had families, and something was so valuable to them, they put it all on the line. These were not crazy people. These were normal, everyday people that made a decision. You see, when you see Christ, it changes your perspective. And now the things that are temporary hold no value to you. And eternity is everything. So what they didn't realize, the Romans, that by martyring a believer, you just gave them their inheritance early. It's the only religion For several months, I dug in. I tried to find other religions. When the Romans would attack a religion, they would disappear, and then they would pop up in another city. Every other religion. They would crush it, it would go away, and it would pop up in another city and may eventually work its way back into that city. Christianity, they would try to kill every Christian in that city, and within days, they had multiplied greater than the number they killed. They never ran. They never recanted. What is it about this faith that's different that even the Roman Empire could not bring it to its knees? Ladies and gentlemen, as I come to my conclusion, I tell you, you are faced with a decision today. You are faced with a major decision. And there's one of two options. Either Christianity is the greatest hoax carried on over 6,000 years, producing millions of martyrs. Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. And with that, I rest my case.
faith of ours is different. The other day I got some pre-workout powder. Gabe coached me into getting. I said, Dad, I want to get some pre-workout. I said, what the heck is that? In my day, that was like a banana, you know? <laughs> and he says, no, no, you got to get this powder, man. This powder's lit. You got to get some powder, Dad. It's like, all right. I mean, if it's lit, you got to buy it, right? So, bought this powder, and it says, uh, for best results, use a full scoop. I thought, well, what does it do? He's like, Dad, you're going to be more hyped than you've ever been. It's like the equivalent of like 30 cups of coffee. I said, son, I ain't drank 30 cups of coffee in a month of my life. I certainly don't want to take it on one day. And then it, in, fine, in the finest print on the whole bottle, it says, for beginners, start with a half a scoop. I'm like, I qualify as a beginner. Never had this before. So I measure out half, and I'm like, ah, a little bit less out of there. Less than a half. Mix it in water, and you drink it. And in about eight minutes, your scalp starts itching <laughs> like you got head lice and your skin goes to burning and you're thinking, my God, I'm being poisoned. What has happened to me? I'm dying. And then eventually it mellows out when you're on the treadmill and it does nothing. You still hate the treadmill. <laughs> And I asked Gabe, I said, hey, did you try it? He goes, yeah, I like it. He goes, that stuff hits different. <laughs> hits different than what? What have you been hitting, son? <laughs> only thing you need to be hitting is a baseball bat and a football player. That's all you need to be hitting. So in that same way, let me say this, that our faith hits a little different. Because it does things other religions just can't quite do. Every other religion buckles to the test of time and theory. Every other belief system caves in. You test it through the theories of scholarly literature. No other religious leader has proven so many prophecies true. Our religion just hits a little. Because when you profess Christ, you take on a name that is just as powerful today as the day he was born. So I tell you, what you and I believe, ah man, this ain't no religion, this is a relationship. A religion is information passed down from one person to another person to another person. This don't have to be passed down to you. You can get it from the source himself. Jesus is still doing the work of the ministry. The Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father ever interceding on your behalf. That's what he did when he was on earth. When he was on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Praying for people. That's what he did. He's still doing it right now. So I want to end this in this way. My heart behind this entire series was to create four weeks that would absolutely kick the spirit of doubt square in his mouth. To attack your disbelief. 
because we've all had it. Let me just say this. Let me be the first one to say, I've had doubt about our belief. A pastor, a professional Christian. I'm a pro, baby. And I still have doubt. But the reason I have doubt is because all this information has been suppressed. And there has been a current of political pressure to keep this information away from us. You start studying and you realize that all of this exists out there. I read this one professor who did probabilities. He said, there's more accurate information about Jesus Christ than Elvis Presley. Anybody want to say Elvis never existed, by the way? Anybody? No takers? Well, thank you very much. Okay. So here's the thing. All this data, no room for the spirit of doubt anymore. The decision has to be made. The anvil and the history of time is going to drop. The Bible says that whether we want to or not, every knee will bow. Every tongue shall. Let me, let me put it in different words. Whether you get it or not, you're going to get it. Why not just get it now? Why not just love Jesus now? What I just learned about, can I tell you, I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about heaven. I've talked to people who have had uh, near-death experiences and I've interviewed those people. I've been with people who were dying. I know there's a heaven. But there's a beauty to Jesus right now. There's a glory to him right now where you sit in your seat. Don't wait. Don't wait. Make knowing Jesus a priority of your life. This is a wrap-up service, but I want to tell you something. My prayer team is going to be right here. Right here. If you're ready to make that decision today, if you said, man, I've never heard this evidence before. I challenge each one of you, go try to prove me wrong. Go, go test this. The data I gave you here today makes the weight and the burden of proof on the non-believer it shifts the responsibility on the atheist to disprove what we have proved. So if you're here and you haven't believed, you got some work to do. You got some work to do. I submit to you that it takes greater faith after this message to be an atheist than it does a believer. Stand to your feet. My prayer team is going to be to my left, your right. If today is your day, hey, don't, 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 don't miss it. The Bible says all you got to do is Romans 10, 9, and 10, 10. All you got to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. That's it. That's it. Man has complicated it. We have, we've made it a mess, a debacle, but it's just as simple as believing and confessing. We can help you with that today. Come down and see the prayer team. I want to finish with this. This whole series has been the lead up to next week. That when we light those candles, that it will spark a new belief in us that's different than it's ever been.
I believe that 2024 is going to be different. I believe our faith is going to come under unbelievable fire. But I have good news for you. Greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And there are going to be people who will not believe unless you give them proof. Go load your spiritual cannons with the truth. Go load your spiritual cannons with the goodness of God. When you begin sharing that there was a man who was persecuted beyond understanding, died on a cross, and he rose again, and we've got doc, I mean, just documented proof after proof after proof, 25,000 manuscripts that speak of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Hard to argue against that. So I tell you, prepare yourselves for next week. The Holy Spirit's going to strike a fresh newness of our belief next week. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about 2024, aren't you? Opportunities to share the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. I thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that there is this amazing trail that cuts through history. That when we find it, it leads to one beautiful truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And I thank you, Lord, that it's there for us to go and inspect and test and challenge. And thousands have tried to tear it down, but it's not possible. So it leaves the greatest skeptic with a great question. But for those that believe it, It's like gasoline on the fire of our faith. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for preparing the way and the energy for the Holy Spirit just to do something new in our lives. This holiday season, Lord, let us remember the life of Jesus. Let us remember there's details that apply to our life today. And we look forward, Father, to worshiping together next Sunday on Christmas Eve and honoring you. I thank you for being the light of the world. Father, bless us and keep us. Be gracious to us. Show us your favor. Make your face shine upon us and give us peace, both now and forevermore. Cover us with the blood of Jesus from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. I thank you that no weapon that's formed against us will prosper. Father, I pray that the true spirit of Christmas, the joy of the birth of our Savior would just fill us to overflowing this world. Father, help us to spread joy in our community. Bring us back next week more wisdom and more of your word locked away in our heart and we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody say, amen. God bless you. We love you and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us today for the Hope City Community Church Podcast. We pray that what you've heard today will bless you until the next time we meet again. We hope you'll join us again soon to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged to experience the real Jesus. Take good care and God bless.